If you have a Bible or a New Testament, I invite you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. In just a few moments, we'll begin reading at verse 10. 2 Timothy 3, starting in verse 10. What a great song. David, you did a good job leading that song. Appreciate it, brother. Barrett, what a, what a great prayer to start this meeting tonight off in the right direction as far as praying to God and soliciting his help in every way. We're so thankful for everyone that is here. We have many visitors. We're just tickled to have you. What? There's no better place that I'd rather be than to be here tonight with the saints of God, to be able to hear those songs, that, that song, Where Could I Go But To The Lord? It always uh, breaks me up when I sing that song. Uh, where could we go but to the Lord? In 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 10, Paul told Timothy, But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me in Antioch, in Iconium, in Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Notice how Paul, first of all, commends Timothy for his spiritual resolve to carefully follow him in teaching, godly living, spiritual direction, obedient faith, long-suffering love and perseverance. It's really a two-way street. Here you have this uh, older apostle. He loved this uh, Tim loved Timothy just like a son. And Timothy had the, the, the common sense and had the love toward this man that he wanted to follow Paul's example. I think about in, in my life, the people that made such an impact in my life. I had two great mentors. As many of you know, one of my mentors was Dean Bullock. And I'd be so unwise if I did not listen to every word that he said. And you know Dean had this great memory of all the historical aspect of the brotherhood. He had sometimes drive me around, and one time he was 89, driving me around to every church in this town. And, and that happened a lot. Every time I'd get with Dean, he'd drive me around to the churches, and he'd give me the histories of all the churches. And then I told my brother, I said, I, I rode with uh, Dean Bullock around Lufkin. And my brother Allen said, how old is he? And I, I said, 89. He said, and you rode with him? And I said, I sure did. And just get this wealth of knowledge. And, and what, a, what a sad day it was when Dean passed. And then 
I, I still think, okay, I, I can ask Dean about that. And I still need to get with my dad and, and get the whole history of, of the Lindell Church and his history in the faith. He's given me bits and pieces through the years, but I need to sit down with him. He's now 93. I better get busy sitting down with him and take notes on that history so it won't be lost. And I see that relationship, a relationship like that with Paul and Timothy. But notice how Paul gives concrete, personal examples of the resolve we must have to be spiritually triumphant in the midst of persecution and sufferings. He reminds Timothy that with God's help, he will be able to endure and ultimately be delivered from these various trials. And that's the very thing that we want to hear, that we're going through the fire. When will it end? It'll end in God's time. Paul basically shares a spiritual truism in verse 12 by declaring emphatically that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And and this is not a negative, pessimistic declaration by Paul, but a triumphant resolve that with the Lord on our side, we will be victorious even in the midst of persecution and suffering. And what, what we have that the people of the world do not have is grace to help in time of need. Assurance that no trial will be more than we were able to bear. The promise of him who cannot lie. I, and that promise is, ladies and gentlemen, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, not even in death. But the question is, how is our faith when we're going through the fire of suffering, whether it's physically, mentally, or emotionally? How is our faith when we see close spiritual and physical family members suffering in this life? We see them going through that fire themselves, whether it's physically, mentally, and emotionally. Do we process this suffering through the lens of the Word of God or the lens of the world. The world asks, if God is such a loving God, why is there so much suffering? Have you ever been asked that? I have in my life numerous times. And the answer I give is the same. Man from the very beginning had free will choice. He chose sin and and brought sickness and suffering and death upon the world. And sickness, suffering, and death are a reality in our world. But we have a free will choice to decide how we, as children of God, will react to it. The answer is is obvious. We react with complete trust in God, knowing he gives us favor in time of need, and that no trial will be more than we're able to bear. Thanks be to God that's the case. But let's be just plain about it. The application is sometimes hard. Sometimes it's painful. And frankly, sometimes it's all-consuming 
while we are going through the fire of tribulation and suffering. One brother in Christ put it this way, desperation shortens the gap of faith. We are more willing to believe because our need is pressing and obvious. We feel its urgency. We sense that all other options are inadequate, including our own resources. In these moments of weakness, God shines. Faith becomes real. In reaction to this statement, someone said, I have found this to be true throughout my life in the loss of my dad. Loved ones, babies, friends, and during trials, that blindsided me. At such times, I am especially reminded that I am nothing without Jesus. I am in abject poverty without him. So as the hymn asks, where could I go but to the Lord? Where could I go or where could I go seeking a refuge for my soul? Needing a friend to save me in the end. Where could I go but to the Lord? And that should always be our cry. Where could I go but to the Lord? And then you have Peter's declarations on sufferings. And, and Peter, in his declarations, picking up at 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 6 and 7, puts it this way. 1 Peter chapter 1, 6 and 7. He said, in this, now, in this is the idea of the inheritance that's incorruptible, that's undefiled, that's reserved in heaven for us. He's saying, in this, you greatly rejoice of that great inheritance, that place we call heaven, that we're, where we're going. He said, you greatly rejoice in that. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by manifold temptations, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, that it is tested with fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, the apostle Peter makes a similar declaration about this triumphant resolve in 1 Peter chapter 4. Begin reading in verse uh, 12 and read through verse 16. He says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice insofar as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, we may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he's glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Now, notice, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God. In this matter. Very powerful words by Peter. Well what does he want from us? He wants these much loved brethren. To not think it's strange or foreign. to be Or be surprised. 
if they suffer trials. And we shouldn't be surprised either when we suffer trials in this life, when we get setbacks in this life. Have you ever suffered uh, uh, trials, setbacks, and tribulations in life? And you know, I think what we sometimes do is we try to, we try to compare our, our trials and tribulations to everybody else's. I, my, my trial's not as bad as the first century Christians. Well, maybe not right now, but it could be coming. But that's not the point. It's our trial. It's what Satan is trying to do to help us lose our soul, to lead us astray. Don't ever underestimate the trial you're going through because it's your trial. Years ago, I was a young superintendent of schools. And I had been been selected to be... a, a the head of a committee on technology at the, the service center in Lubbock, Texas. And so I was in my last year of heading that committee, and the head of the service center came into one of the meetings and started talking about a lady that I was, I, I was very knowledgeable of all that she did, and we were very close as far as professionally, and we were friends. And he started disparaging her. And matter of fact, he started lying about her. Well, ladies and gentlemen, what do you do when that's the case? And we know this guy is going to be the director for many years, and I would not only not lead a committee, but I would no longer be in a committee. But we have to do what's right. So I, I stopped him and I said, listen, and the rest of the committee, you need to listen too. What, what you're saying is not true. And he said, well, I had it under good information. I said, I don't care. It's not true. What you're saying is, is a lie. And he hushed up. And guess what? I never... Again, in the next uh, 17 years, was part of a committee uh, at that service center. But I did not care. Friendship means something. Telling the truth means something. And you cannot let the people of the world just lie about people and just stand there and be worried about our careers instead of doing what's right. We should never get to a point that the devil tempts us to not try to do what's right. Period. That's fiery trial. Now, is that being killed for the cause of Christ like the first century? No, but it is being persecuted for doing what's right and what's proper. It was my persecution, my suffering that I had to deal with. Because I knew it would, it would come with a cost. And a lot of times it does come with a cost with people of the world. But we still have to do what's right. 
You see, fiery trial illustrates the purification process of precious metals being sent through the fire to separate the dross from the precious metals. And when we go through fiery trials, this is that purification process for us. But it is seldom easy and often painful going through the process. And that's true. And then Peter, he continues to plead for a spiritual reaction to suffering. That is, if we suffer for righteousness' sake, we need to view it as an inner spiritual form of joy and prosperity. Now, that's easier said than done, isn't it? Okay, I'm, I'm going through this. Now, where is the prosperity? Where is the joy? The joy is the thing that's set before us, that, that heavenly home. And me do the right thing because I want to go to that heavenly home. I look toward that, not to the mundane things of this world. I look to heaven as my joy and prosperity. And this will remind us that people can persecute our bodies, but they will never harm us spiritually because the Lord is with us. Do we believe it? That's the question. Do we need, believe that the Lord is on our side? And that if He's on our side, we're going to win because we know the Lord's going to win. So no matter what, we will fear no man but continue to have joy, peace, and tranquility in Christ Jesus. And we should never feel intimidated by the persecutors, but always maintain our composure. And again, is this easy? Absolutely not. But our tranquil, courageous reaction allows us to get through the fires and not only help ourselves to grow spiritually, but set the example to others on how to endure under distress. Wood states, so far as the sufferings of Christians are of the same kind, originate in the same causes and are prompted by the motives of those that Jesus suffered. They have occasion to rejoice in the assurance that such suffering will secure them participation in his glory by and by. And he's right. Because in this life, we can possess this inner spiritual joy and prosperity, even in the clutches of persecution and suffering. And if we continue to be faithful, we can have the ultimate joy of the life to come. And the glorified Lord will meet his faithful saints in the air, and we shall ever be with the Lord, and we can comfort one another with these words. That comes from 1 Thessalonians, starting in verse 16. Paul told these brethren, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. So if we are reproached, which we will be at some point, 
And, and keep in mind, this idea of reproach is the idea of being reviled or to be verbally abused. Have you ever been verbally abused? Have you? If we verbally abuse anyone, it's sinful or wrong, and we'll lose our soul over it. When we communication comes out of our mouth, it needs to be with kindness and love and consideration. It can be plain. It can be firm. That's what goodness is. It's made of sterner qualities. We're good, and we can be stern but we do it with kindness. They go hand in hand. But he says if we are verbally abused for our obedience to the name of Christ, we are blessed. And the glorious Spirit of God is always with us. And when we study the Word of God and make it a part of our character and ultimately live it in our lives, the God of heaven, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit are always with us in their providential care. But if we act carnally, and notice how he says in, in James chapter 4, if we act carnally and suffer as a murderer, as a thief, as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters, we deserve it. But if we suffer as a Christian, we have nothing of which to be ashamed, but we should give God the glory that he found us worthy to suffer for the cause of Christ. And then we have James, James's declaration on suffering. You see, James is the Lord's brother, and he declares our triumphant resolve to suffer for the cause of Christ will also bring spiritual joy, endurance, maturity, and completeness in Christ. You see the theme between all these men? Notice in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. James wanted his brethren to have spiritual reactions to trials. The carnal reactions to, to trials include spiritual compromise, disillusionment, discouragement, depression, and abandonment. However, if we act spiritually to trials, we regard them with joy. And this joy has no sorrow or regret James, like the Apostle Peter, is pleading for all brethren to react spiritually to trials. And we need to do that thing, the same thing. When trials, sufferings, whether they're mentally, physical, or emotional, when they come our way, we need to react spiritually. And with the great knowledge obtained from God's Word as well as practical experience, we learn that the testing of our faith produces endurance. Our faith is like that gold that stands the test of fire, pure and untainted. Trials become a furnace through which we pass to demonstrate the genuineness of our faith. 
which produces endurance. Have you ever been through a trial and you were a better person? And have you ever been through a trial to where you really had to work at it to get to being that better person? One of the greatest trials I think Christy and I ever went through, and sometimes people wonder why Reagan and Michelle are five years, two months apart, is that we lost uh, twins in between them. And, for, and I was taking several graduate courses at that time, and, and it was a couple of days later, and Christy says, why don't you just go to class? I guess she needed a long time, and maybe I did too. But you can imagine, I get to this class, this graduate class, and, and I just zone out. I zone out of that class. And then, you know, sometimes you perceive that somebody maybe is yelling at you. And, and I kind of shook myself out of the fog. And I said, what? He said, how rude of you that you are just ignoring me when I'm asking you a question. And I said, well, I'm just not having a very good day. Uh my wife and I, we just lost two babies. And I'm just not doing very well. She said, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. Uh, how can I make it up to you? And I said, you already have. You already have. By saying you're sorry. We went through the fire. We went through the fire. But you know the only thing we could think, God, where can can we go but to the Lord? And after all these years, you still have to think about where could I go but to the Lord in the midst of that fire. You see, the beauty of our knowledge of the end result of the testing of our faith as, is that we have absolute confidence in the outcome of the process, even in the midst of the trial. We can see the end from the beginning because we know we're in the Lord, that he'll help us get through it. What a consolation. What a blessing. We know the end result, that we will come out better people. And that's the very thing that that Christy and I did because Christy has dedicated her life to help people that have gone through the same thing. Giving them material to where they could read and deal with the death of a child. And even if it's a miscarriage, it's death to the parents. Where could they go but to the Lord and brethren that can help them get through the fire? And as we continue to courageously struggle with spiritual, physical, and mental, and emotional sufferings and trials, we will develop spiritual staying power or stamina. We, in a sense, get into spiritual shape to face all oppositions and difficulties. When I was a young Christian, 
Remember I told you I had that, working for my brother, I had a lug nut in my hand, putting it on, crying out to God, Lord, I need you, I need you, I need you. I think about that a lot. And think about, we have to grow. We have to grow up. We have to continue to mature. We have to continue to develop stamina spiritually. And when we go through the fire, we know we're going to get through the other side because we're going to do whatever it takes to be faithful to the Lord. We're not going to let anybody keep us from heaven, anyone. And we understand when Jesus says that you have to forsake everything if that's what it takes to be faithful to God. We develop spiritual shape to face oppositions and difficulties. And endurance continues to mature us with this constant spiritual exercise. And it helps us become stable and mature. And this implies that we have grown and improved spiritually by going through the process. And, th and then Jesus on suffering. Jesus, the perfect example of triumphant resolve in suffering, declares in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 11 and 12, Blessed are you when, you when they revile and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I like what Paul Earnhardt says here. He says, these peacemakers have become the persecuted. Jesus having now dealt with the attitude of kingdom citizens toward God, themselves and others, now turns to consider the attitude of the world toward them. The Lord now reveals that they will stir the world to a bitter animosity and hatred. The Son of God has never sought to withhold the realities of suffering from his followers. He has spoken plainly so that when his disciples suffer, they can know that it is just as he said it would be and take heart with the assurance that their master's promises of glory are just as sure. Their crime is simple. They have chosen to be righteous in an unrighteous world. The Lord's disciples should rejoice at an opposition which reveals that the spirit and character of their Savior has been seen in them. And Peter declares that Jesus was the greatest example of triumphant resolved in suffering in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verses 21 through 24. For to this you were called, and, and he's saying you're, this you were called, you were called to the, all this suffering and persecution that you're going through. Why? Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. That's powerful. He set the, the greatest example that could ever be set by dying for us. Jesus is the one that had no sin, 
yet he suffered death on the cross for our sins. He had a spiritual reaction to suffering by reacting with grace, humility, courage, and triumphant resolve. And may the Lord help us have the same triumphant resolve to react to suffering as Jesus did. Paul Earnhardt concludes, The Lord's disciples should rejoice at an opposition which reveals that the spirit and character of their Savior has been seen in them. They should rejoice because they have been granted the privilege of suffering for one who endured such abuse for their sakes. But most of all, they should rejoice because their suffering is not empty. They can embrace it joyfully, knowing that it transforms the character works for them a far exceeding and eternal weight of glory. No temporal threat can intimidate the one whose true treasure is secured in heaven. I want to end with an authentic reaction from a sister in Christ when she read about Jesus healing a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years. She said, as someone who has been blessed with good health, I can't imagine living with a hemorrhage of 12 years. I've never been that desperate physically. Would I have gone out to find Jesus or would I have stayed home, swallowed up in misery and despair? I do find, I do find that I reach out to God, but I also know that I tend to shun others and reject the help I need from my brethren in these same circumstances and isn't that true it may be easy for us to give our assistance to others that are in need but it can be very difficult to accept help from others maybe we need to react when others ask if we need help with a yes and a thank you it's so interesting God, in his providential way, will send you someone to help you get through the fire. After Christy and I went through that death, or deaths, you could say, guess who holds our meeting, gospel meeting in Auburn Street in Lubbock, the next month? Here comes Pat Jones, the very guy that got me into preaching the gospel. Pat comes for a meeting. And he could tell we're down and say, what, what is going on? I want to know. If you know Pat, he just gets right to it. And we just told him everything. And Pat said, Carolyn and I went through that. He said, I can help you. He said, here's the problem. You had no closure. He said, now, now don't misunderstand me. He said it was hard. He saw it's hard when you have a bassinet and then you have to go uh, buy a Catholic. Pat's words, you, some things you never forget. You have to buy a casket. And so, so we, we got to see that, baby. We got to grieve. But he said it was tough. It was tough. That baby was born 
at eight months. Jacksonville did not have the facilities. And he said, Larry, if that baby had been born now, and that was in, that was in 1987, I think. He said, that baby would have lived. And he kept encouraging us that whole week. And not only is Pat Jones a great gospel preacher, he's always been my friend, brother in Christ. And he's been my biggest fan. And he, he was what Christian and I needed at that moment, right then, right there. And Pat Jones, we allow, allowed him in our lives because we loved him so much that he got us through the fire. He helped us through the fire all that week. And there are people that you need to find like that. That when you go, you're suffering, don't do it alone. Let brethren help you get through the fire. Now, if you're not a Christian, think about the fact that you do not have access to the Lord's salvation. If you will repent of your sins, confess Jesus as Christ, and be baptized into Christ, you can have your sins washed away. And if you hadn't lived a faithful life, get it right tonight. And if you need to talk to a brother in Christ, talk to somebody you trust and help, let them help you get through the fire. Will you come? What together we stand and sing.